to the House of Minds, a podcast experience where we dive into individuals' journeys and mindsets with the intention and potential to bring you keys to unlock and expand your mind into new realities and possibilities, because we can all learn something from everyone. All you must bring is a desire to learn, an open mind, and the trust that the universe is always working for you. What will the House of Minds bring you today? We are live. My name is Christina Lynn. Welcome to the House of Minds. Today we'll be speaking with Marilyn Ludwig. And Marilyn is a, I want to say special friend because we have some history. And I'd love to start off by sharing that. Um, Marilyn was a dear friend of my mother's and spent a lot of time with her um, when we lived in Maryland on the East Coast. You had, they had met through, was it through the church, Marilyn? Oh no, through the shoe store. Okay, okay. Wow. That's how I met your mom. Yeah. I, there's a couple different areas that I knew that it could be based on knowing oh, yeah. my mom. I'm like, it's, it's, shoe store. it's either church or so it was through the, the shoe sure. store. And I know that my mom um, leaned a lot on Marilyn, really appreciated her a lot as a friend and the perspectives that she could offer um, through her own journey. And mm-hmm. that's what we'll be speaking about today as, as usual journeys, but a little bit of background on Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn, she first started her professional career in school-based therapy and then, or actually now I'm mixing it up first in occupational therapy. She graduated in the seventies as an occupational therapist, and then she transitioned into working in the school-based setting. And as always in those types of settings, a lot of times we're dealing with mindsets, perspectives, um, a lot of the psychology, which would you say became kind of your passion or something you became passionate about Marilyn on your, it was always part of my passion because I was a bio, I was a bio major at Gettysburg college. And uh, I went into research at university of Pennsylvania and I hated it. Um, So I would go to the library and read every sociology psychology book I could get my hands on. And then I applied to OT school. Love it. So you made the switch. Oh yeah went back to school and got another bachelor's right love that love that and something about her as far as with the with her career path she loves to connect she describes herself as a people person relationship person and is able to connect on that deeper level and loves just spreading um, light hope with others and at the same time has also been walking her own journey and process of learning to let go of codependence, of guilt, and or specifically guilt, or feeling responsible for others' feelings and learning to navigate and stay in her own lane. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to that, Marilyn? Well, I have a little introduction I wrote because, you know, I could go off on different tangents and give you story after story after story, yeah. but I want to see how this goes. So I just want to give you an idea of who I am and what I've done. Yeah, so that's what my introduction is. And it says, who, I, who, am, who am I and how did I come to this very moment sharing my story with you? And I hope that you can glean some wisdom from my life. It's been a long life. I turn 70 next week. 
I'm a firm believer that nothing's wasted in God's economy, that everything that happens, good or bad, is used for our growth. Um, and I know that my childhood and my life choices have guided me to this moment right now. And just think about it, I was born in 1951. It was a different world than a lot of your listeners, I guess. Um, so my, where I came from is a little different than where you came from. But when you get right down to it, we all come from different places, psychologically, um, just in our families. It's just such a diversity out there where we come from. Mm -hmm. So I, I was gonna share a poem with you first. I just wrote a poem that a friend of mine that I just reconnected with a high school friend after 50 years, um, she's been doing her own journey and she had a template for this poem out of a book called Skill in Action by Michelle Johnson. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, Christina, it's a yoga practice. I am not. Okay, well, you write this poem and you really have to look at where you came from. And there's a template that's involved with it if anybody's interested. Okay. So this is basically about my childhood. Okay, and it's pretty brief. Um, I think that our childhood is so crucial to who we are because we have these little amygdalas in our brain and we can't talk and we can't form thoughts, but we're emotionally impacted all the time when we're little. Mm -hmm. And they're really hard things to get rid of and change and even be aware of. So, Where I Am From by Marilyn Elaine Little, my maiden name, Ludwig. Okay, you could close your eyes and just try to envision this, but I am from wooden clothespins, frozen sheets and towels, stiff boards on the clothesline, rolled dampened clothes and ironing boards bobby pins, brooms, and buttons. From simplicity patterns, Campbell's tomato soup, blue bonnet margarine, Baumgartner's bread, royal typewriters with manual carriage returns, and sticky keys, and a bottle of Coca-Cola on Christmas Eve. I am from 43 Webster Street, the alley, the very big riding club field across the alley. Running, sledding, roller skating, biking, lying on my back, watching airplanes travel above. Only rich people fly in airplanes. I'd like to fly. Excursions to the stacks and card catalogs at W.H. Davis Library. Butterscotch Sundays at Doc's Drugstore on a Friday night. Visits to the five and 10 cent store. I am from purple violets, four leaf clovers and walnuts, trees, nuts, wood and stain, tangled ivy covering the house foundation, hedges snip snipped with big hand shears by my father on the ladder. From don't go outside with a wet head, you will catch cold. Shh, quiet in the wooden ch church pew. Follow the rules, do the dishes, practice your piano. Don't forget to put the money and egg cartons out for Mr. Owings, the egg man. From Bimmy and Dewey, who met at the Pipe Creek Roller Rink, engaged nine days later, married after the war in 1946 at the church parsonage by Reverend S. Earl Mitchell and honeymooned in the Pocono Mountains. From don't cause a problem, don't air your dirty laundry in public, shut the windows if you're going to fight, the neighbors will hear you. I'm from the Brethren Hymnal, feet washing, love feast, and annoying, unattractive prayer coverings. 
Sunday school, vacation Bible school, under the pavilion at Western Maryland College, choir practice and candlelight services. I'm from the Royers who lived on what Liberty Street and rest at Meadow Branch Cemetery. I'm from homemade pies, chocolate meringue, coconut cream, summer Rambo apple, homemade beef vegetable soup, hot milk sponge cake, grape juice, and jelly from the grape arbor by the back door, pancakes with king syrup on Saturdays. From the silent gong gong dying of asthma when I was six and a half years old in the bedroom that then became Becky and Marilyn's. From the grandfather who set type at the Carroll County Times, played the bass fiddle, smoked Winston's, drank too much. Ralph and May who gave their baby daughter, Mary Isabel Royal, Royer to her loving grandparents, Harry and Anna Royer, who lived down Liberty Street. Why? What was meant for evil, God used for good. So that's my poem. And I'm sure maybe you're thinking of some questions that could come off my poem. Um, took me a long time to write that because mm -hmm. I had to go back to where I was as a child. Mm -hmm. Not always the best memories, very conflicting memories. Yeah. But I know I was loved, okay? My physical needs were met. My emotional needs were ignored. Not so much because my parents didn't love me, but because their emotional needs and their feelings were also ignored as children. They did not know the words to put to needs and feelings. Yeah. And I left this nest of sorts in 1969. I had a summer job when I graduated from high school in the mountains. And I did that deliberately to separate myself from my family because it was very judging and controlling at home. So I left, but my parents were gracious. I was an achiever academically and my parents graciously paid for my education at Gettysburg College where I graduated in 73. And I worked in Philadelphia for two years as a researcher at University of Penn. I married my husband, Rick, in 1974. So far, I'm a daughter, a daughter-in-law, oh, new role, a sister and a wife. Who was Marilyn is still the question. I added occupational therapist, as we discussed in 1978. Mm -hmm. I learned from every work experience I had. Um, I was in a psychiatric institution for a year, an institution for severely developmentally disabled adults for a year. And then I went to work in the public schools um, at the beginning of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, which um, was the beginning of OT in the schools for kids to get an appropriate and free education. We had no idea what we were doing, but we yeah. did it. You said you were a pioneer in that, in that what? area. Yeah. 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 We were pioneers and um, I continued in that arena for, for 25 years, yeah, 25 years, but I'm still learning who Marilyn is. I became a mother in 1980. Daughter number two arrived in 1982, Susan and Julie. And my life was full of anxiety. I was doing things, checking off tasks and boxes, trying to be perfect in my roles of daughter, daughter-in-law, wife, mother, OT, Sunday school teacher, vacation Bible school teacher. I was literally exhausted. So in checking 19 all the boxes. Yeah. In 94, I began my journey to wellness. I was 43 years old. Boy, wish it had happened sooner. 
And I know that courage, perseverance, strength, and uh, conscious choices are required to break free of the strongholds on all of our lives. And we all have strongholds. And, you know, it's a process. I learned that time, experience, relationships, supports, conscious choices. I always, I'm a bottom line person and I married my husband who was a bottom line person. And that's not a real good way to approach life, bottom line. So that's a little bit of who I am. I guess I could add, I have three granddaughters now. So the, the you know, legacy continues and my adult children are 38 and 40. Yes. Um, so to go, thank you for sharing all of that. And there's a lot of things I can pull from that. It was a lot. So, but to start, mm. why would you say that approaching life as a like bottom line is not a good way to approach? And what would be an alternate view that you would have maybe even changed or that at the point you are at now has come to realize that it might be a more expanded view? Oh, well, bottom line means um, you have an accident, say, you fall, well, this just happened to me this week. I fell through the table on the patio because I was trying to adjust the, the umbrella and broke the table. Mm-hmm. So when you fall, you first check to make sure you're okay. And then you're like, okay, how am I going to replace that table? All right. Instead of, wow, I'm grateful I wasn't really hurt or let's just take our time. Let's figure that out, you know? Um, so constantly moving to the next, like. Right, but not really thinking and communicating with other people in your life because you want to fix it, you know? I mean, my daughter, Susan, when she was a teenager, had some issues with, well, with with boys and my husband and I freaked out. And I remember my husband and I laying in bed one night and I was just so upset. I wanted to fix it, fix it, fix it, you know? And he just said, I don't know what to do. Let's go talk to somebody. And we did. And that was part of my journey too. Yeah. Of yeah. going to counseling. Yeah. And isn't that, so my life coach, it's, sorry, my thoughts, I always, my thoughts will come very quickly and I always want to jump to the next and like, no, pause, finish your first thought. It's so interesting that um, we'll go to automatically just wanting to figure it out ourselves versus taking the pause and the wait. Let's, let's examine this. And it almost goes into the way that we may have been raised where, again, you, you shut the door on the problems. We don't have any problems. Oh, there. No, it's no, all no. behind closed doors, right? So it, create, it can create that cycle of, well, let's just fix it. We're going we're gonna to not look at what's actually under there and the root of it, but let's go fix it. Well, we can only do better when we know better. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite quotes by my life coach. And the only way to do that is to go out and actually learn about all this Mm-hmm. And it takes that, that conscious awareness that, okay, the way that I'm doing things is no longer working. Maybe I need to go seek help or go learn more about it because that's the cycle of how we can do better. We become right. aware, we learn, and then we can do better. And as you mentioned, it does take time and it can, I don't like using the word, it can be a hard process or hard to change because look at that mindset that we set up where we're telling ourselves it's hard 
So it's like we have this huge mountain to climb where sure, it, it, the reality is that it can be challenging, but it's not impossible. So what's the way that we can look at it where it becomes, there's more ease in our mind and it becomes more approachable and, oh, okay, I'm going to look at, at what comes up right now in front of me and just be present with it and then move from that space. However, there is also the reality that, as you mentioned, everything is stored in our amygdala. And that's our first part of our brain that develops before we even have words to, to put to our emotions, to put to our experiences. So it's those emotions that hold those cues. Um, and it can take a while to unpack. It's like peeling the layers back and remembering, just like you mentioned right after you finished your poem that it took you a while to write it. Oh, yeah. And it took you a while maybe to remember all of that because that's the way our brain goes. So that's the same with those, those reactions and those set grooves that we have in our brain. They're set that way and they've been there for so long. So when we have that feeling in the amygdala and it triggers, and then it's like this railroad track, our brain just takes over and we go into the reaction. So it takes time and the patience. And that's part of the journey is learning the grace to be patient with ourselves. And to take those wait, slow down. Oh, I can sense myself going into this old pattern. What is this? And not beating ourselves up about it, but rather becoming really curious about it. But it does take perseverance and con conscious choice. And consciousness is something that gradually expands. It's not something that like, oh, I want to become conscious. I'm going to become conscious overnight. Made right. this That's for today to be conscious. Yeah, right. right. Almost like those, those quick fix solutions yeah. where, oh, okay, well, I'm going to move. No, but it's, it's actually learning to do the exact opposite of, of what we've been taught to do or what we want to do. So it's almost going against our nature and it can be unlearned, but again, it's the process. It's always going to raise its ugly head. It's never going to be totally gone. It's never going to be totally gone. You're just going to be more aware of it and different relationships will trigger different things. Like I said, I've been married to my husband for 47 years almost. Mm -hmm. And we were young. I mean, we were so young when we got married and we both came from dysfunctional. Well, I hate to use that word. We came from families with issues and that's why we were attracted together. And you know, he can trigger me more than almost anybody because he has anxiety and he's bottom line. So yeah, I have to change. I can't change him, but I can change. And then perhaps he'll see it. So I'm still working on that in my marriage. You know, it's. Yeah. yeah. And so there's two ways to look at it because yes, we will automatically, if we haven't resolved our own codependent issues and our own codependent patterns we'll find the perfect partner where we can play them out oh yeah and that's where relationships do become a perfect ground for well I have to be the change because I can't change anybody else around me so stopping our brains from going to the fix the solution oh no because what does that do that takes our focus off of ourselves and puts the focus on the other person Instead right. of focusing on ourselves and changing ourselves. And that's really all that we can do to, to stem, to, to create any change. And the relationships in this way, though, here's the beauty, at least from the way I've seen it and what I've learned. When I take full responsibility for the only things that I can do, 
Well, then it becomes, it's not this person is doing this to me. It becomes this person is triggering this inside of me and I get to go look at my feeling and I get to, uh, to uh, peel back the layers and, and discover why these feelings are there and why I respond and react this way. And what am I actually looking for um, in this person that I might not, that I might, it might be unconscious and that I might have needed when I was younger. And now I have the opportunity to go look at it and make new choices, but we can't get into that space of creating change or choices until we actually look at it. So there's, there's like the beauty and the gift of the, of our partners triggering us in those relationships. And then you, you can also look at the other side because now, especially in society these days, it's easy to say, well, I'll just go find a new partner. I'll, this doesn't work. And granted, there are those situations where apps, you always have to do what feels right for you. Right. However, there's also morals and values. So if you're someone that does strongly believe in sticking with it in it together with a person will look at the beauty of standing by the moral and value that works for you. Right. But it has to be two people. I mean, yes. I've walked, I've walked through life with friends that, you know, had husbands with sexual addictions and well, my really yes. good friend did. And I walked with her for 10 years through that. And, you know, it's, it's a hard journey to know what you, you should work at and what you should let go for your own good. And she did end, let, end up letting go of that after four years, they got a divorce, but um, it's a tricky line to walk. It's really tricky. It you know, is. Yes. I look at my marriage now, I, I think, wow, I was so, you know, what was I doing, you know? But that's who I was at that point. And if you notice yes. in my introduction, I talked about my mother-in-law a lot. I, she was just a horrendous person to get along with, but I was determined I was going to, you know, I was going to get her to like me and to like Rick, my husband, because he was the firstborn and there was dynamics with that, with her and oh, just was a mess. And I spent probably 20 years of my life trying to do that. And I would just advise anybody, get a life coach, go to counseling, get a mentor. I had no clue that what I was doing was not productive. Yeah. And no discover why you're doing that. And so I drew, yeah, I drew my kids into it too. Yeah. I drew my kids into the same thing. So beware is all I can say. I wish I had had and, a help. And there's the beauty of the grace that now you can look back and say, I was doing the best I could. Yeah. That's also part of the journey is the forgiveness right. aspect. Of and I tell my kids, you know, I did the best I could, but we're going to have a new legacy in this family. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can do is start from now and keep going. Yeah. Oh, what did I want to add on? Oh, so another point uh, that I would want to point out from that is our, our own like strengths and our own morals and values and how the part of the journey is almost discovering where they work for us and where they don't, because it's great to be determined and it's great to have determination And the importance of that is learning where does it work for me and where does it doesn't and taking it back into your lane because being so determined to try to get someone to like you and realizing, oh, wait, but now I'm in their lane and I can't make those choices for them. So it's great. We're all gifted with these, these strengths and these skills. And part of the journey is, is almost taking responsibility for them in the sense that I'm going to use them for me and I'm going to use them where they, they work for me and not 
use them in situations where it actually doesn't work for my own good and, or it backfires. It's, it's boundaries. Cause you're going against boundaries at that well, point. Speaking of boundaries, I taught that class three times. I taught it to, I was a MOPS mentor for a while and I taught a class to a group of small, a small group of women for that. I taught it to another, it was always women I taught it to, but I taught it three times before I finally understood what boundaries were. And it's, it begets the saying of we're always talking to ourselves and we're always, we're always actually doing what, what would benefit us or what we need. Um, and it's, it's that was also a novel the- concept to me. I wasn't taught that. I yeah. wasn't taught, you know, when I went to counseling, some of my counselors said, well, what are your needs, Marilyn? I've, I've been going to counseling actually since 1998. I had a little hiatus, but um, I go to the same counselor and she says, well, what are your, what are your needs? And I had to say, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, this is, and this is not stuff we're taught, especially as a perfectionist, there's a lot of people pleasing that can go into it. Mm-hmm. And when we're so hyper-focused on the external world, then it's very easy to lose yourself. And that's part of the, the childhood dilemma when we're, when we're constantly responding to our, our parents' needs and wants. And there is a, there is a, a middle ground and there's appropriate ways to set those, but then we lose a sense of who we are and, or we take on all these external labels. Like you have kept saying, who is Marilyn internally without those, those labels, without the boxes, without the certifications. So it's a rediscovering process of what's under all of that. And we can't change the past. We can honor the past and our feelings about how we felt of it. However, we can also decide to look at it as this curious discovery of, oh, now I get to go on this journey and discover what, well, what, I, what do I like? What don't I like? Who am I? What are my morals and values? Okay. And that backs off. Again, you want to honor the underlying feelings, but when we can turn to curiosity, we don't stay mm-hmm. stuck in the feelings of maybe regret or anger or um resent and we're able to move into another space of oh well now it is my life and now I am in the present moment and now I do get to discover myself and claim my life but you know Christina usually you have to have experiences to teach you that it's not you read a book or you listen to a podcast and you're like oh that makes a lot of sense and I will tell you what my defining moment was and you know all of us have defining moments right that we learn these little pearls of wisdom that are so obvious to some other people. And they're so obvious when we learn them, but when we put them through our head down to our heart, then we have them. And it takes experiences for me. I don't know how other people do it. For my journey, I did the Avon Breast Cancer Walk in 2000. 2000 um, was in the beginning of my wellness journey. It sort of started in 1994 when I had back surgery, my wellness journey. Uh, for different reasons, but I went on the Avon breast cancer walk and um, someone challenged me. You had to raise $18,000 to do it in pledges. And that, that just, was it 18,000 or 1800? I don't know. It's this phenomenal amount. And I thought, I can't do this. And my friend said, well, we can do it together. Well, she ended up dropping out. (laughs) I ended up raising it all plus extra. 
I didn't have Love any it. idea how breast cancer had affected so many families that they were willing to give me money to walk. So I started off on my walk. There's that and, determination. Yeah, Frederick to DC. Okay, three days. All right. Wow. I hadn't really done any long distance stuff before then. I had started running in 1995, but nothing big. Okay. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, I um, had this revelation. I am nobody's daughter out here. I am nobody's wife. I am nobody's daughter-in-law. I am nobody's anything. I'm Marilyn out here with a bunch of other women that were just being who they were. Mm -hmm. And that was just mind changing for me that I am not somebody else's this or that. And now maybe a lot of your listeners know that stuff, but I didn't know that. Yeah. How, what was the, what was the defining experience that led to that, that thought and how did it make you feel? Um, the defining experience might've been that it was probably the first thing I had done without my children or my husband with me. I chose to do it without them out of my comfort zone. Nobody that I didn't know anybody that did it because my friend backed out on it. And I ended up getting a tent made and I ended up the whole thing, you know, I made, I had connections during the walk and I just saw other people doing something for themselves. And I had no concept that that was even approved or okay. And actually my husband was very angry about it and he can, he doesn't mind I tell you this and he won't listen to this podcast anyhow probably but anyhow he Never told me that. my counselor my counselor he told my counselor this in counseling we went together for a while yeah. and um when I left to go on the breast cancer walk that day he dropped me off at Hood College um he was mad he was mad because I was doing something without him we were enmeshed yeah and he loved me a lot of he loved me was because I thought he had great ideas. And as a little boy, not a lot of people did. So I would, I, he did, he had great ideas. He was an Eagle Scout. He taught me about backpacking. We went to DC. It was an adventure, you yeah. know? But now I decided to do something for myself. And he met me at the end with my girls at the end. And um, yeah, yeah. just so got him along the walk. You changed the role on him and he got a little upset. And that's, that. it sounds like you were meeting one of his unconscious needs from childhood of being, I mean, we're human. We all want to be seen, heard, acknowledged, appreciated, and valued. Right. And that's where the codependence can stem from when we don't realize our own needs and wants. And then we, we seek what we didn't get as children from, from relationships. And that's the power of doing the inner work and realizing who we are because needs and wants are meant to be, there's a beautiful space. Nothing's black or white. Avoiding the extremes. There is this middle line where we're meant for communication. We're meant for connection with other human beings and to be in relationships. And we're meant to help each other meet needs and wants. It's just not all the time. We, mm -hmm. When we start to go to that extreme of relying on someone all the time for this, and then anger, jealousy, resent, that those are signs of control. Right. 
and or the the codependent dynamic. So the problem then becomes when we create these relationships and there's this, um, it almost makes me think of submissive and dominant too. Mm-hmm. roles but how so how did it back to you how did it feel to realize wow I can be whoever I want to be in this moment I can do whatever I want to do in this moment it, there's just me how did it feel well it felt freeing of course yeah. it felt freeing and then the job was to continue on to my relationships, you know, when I get back from the walk and, it, you know, it takes time. It really takes time because it was, was like 2000. Okay. My one daughter was in college. My other daughter was about to graduate high school because mm-hmm. I had drawn them into the enmeshment. You know, when you talk about emotional needs of a parent, that is where, we damage our children sometimes. And I, I, you kind of said that we need to teach our children to meet our needs, but really as a parent, we better be pretty well put together. You know, we need to meet our needs. Yes. yes. I didn't mean yes. it that way. I, I think I meant more, we still want to approach boundaries with the children as far as Mm-hmm. this is who I am and these are my morals and values because we're right. still guides and there's ways to do it without making the child change and still getting your point across. So to show your individuality, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand. Yeah. And to, to teach them, look, this is why I do this, this because this is who I am and this, this value is important to me. For example, right. um, education, which has been a big one in my household where, and I've gone back and forth between, I would prefer you do your homework. And then I have kind of had to get to the point where you let go completely of control, the letting go where, mm-hmm. well, no, um, I know that's my moral and value. If you don't want to do your homework, okay. Oh, so that, then they pay the consequence. Well, then they pay the consequence, right? So then it it does become their responsibility. And it's like, hey, I'm your parent. I'm here to to teach you that education is there's importance Uh in it. And there's reasons of why I want you to value your education, but I can't choose for you. So I'm going to let go and I'm going to let you choose. And it's your decision now. But if you would like my help or if you would like other people's help with it, we're here but I can't carry that burden or that responsibility. No, and you need to start with small things, which was one of the mistakes I made. You know, your children, I know, are probably, they're in elementary school, right? Mm-hmm. I forget how, what grade they're in. But Yeah, they're first and second, or second and third now. There you go. Okay, so if you don't, if you fail a homework assignment, you know, or you don't do it, the consequence is not that big, but it's big for them to learn there's a consequence. Yeah. Where- with my children, I tried to make sure that homework was done. This was checked off. That was checked off, you know, and I, that's not a good way to be. I mean, my children are very successful and they were high achievers, but now they're dealing with some of their own issues, you know, mm-hmm. with that not being able to be okay with failure or, you know. Yeah. yeah. Perfectionism and, and, mm-hmm being okay with making mistakes because that also teaches the child it's okay to make a mistake 
I still have value, even if I made a mistake and I actually have the power to change it through conscious decisions and choices. That's a, that's the life skill you need to teach them. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to make a mistake, good luck. It's going to happen. But, and, well, guess what? Here's the beauty of the, the double side of it, because there's no perfect parent and uh-huh. we're human. We're all going to have our things. And I think part of it is learning to be okay with that and mm-hmm. continuing to work on ourselves as best as we can and continuing to expand our awareness and then owning up if we do something, going back to our child and saying, hey, you know what? I screwed up and I'm going to own this. And guess what? I'm not perfect either. Mm-hmm. Far from it. And it's okay not to be perfect. And it's okay to change your mind. And it's okay to go and self-reflect and decide to do things differently. Wow. Not something that I was brought up with, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's a gift that you give your children to be that way. It's, um, I apologize to my children once I got on my journey to wellness. And I think it's the best gift you can give your child. And um, we had severe issues, like I said, with my daughters and when they were teenagers. And one time we went on a hike together and we were out um, west somewhere and we were walking around this beaver pond. Susan was in front of me. I was behind her. Mm-hmm. Susan's my real perfectionistic daughter. Okay. Julie's not so much. Um, and I said, you know, I just felt moved to say, Susan, I just want you to know that, you know, she was probably 20 something this time. I just want you to know that a lot of what happened in those years when you were a teenager was my stuff and the things that I came from and my fears, and I really want to apologize to you, you know, for that. And Susan, without needing a beat, being my perfectionistic, objective daughter, she works for Home Depot, she sells lights across the country. She says, you're right, mom, you did screw up. But I apologized. I apologized. And that is the biggest gift you can give your adult children. If you don't, if you can go your whole life without hearing that from your parents and it's, you're always going to want it. You're going to want them to own their own stuff because they made mistakes. Yeah, we all do. My parents didn't do it. My mother didn't do it. My mother died at 93. She's been dead two years now. And I would have loved to have heard her own some of her stuff, you know, because she didn't. (laughs) And I love her to death and she's not, you know, but... I don't know. You can't really make your parent own their stuff. You have to forgive them and you have to be that job because you cannot make someone else own their stuff. It's not going to yeah. happen. And that could probably be, it is a lesson as well in learning to accept your own pain and that regardless, again, of what the other person does or doesn't do, it, it comes down to you and well, do I want to hold on to this pain? And cause then it becomes a point almost of self-sabotage for yourself that you're holding on to it. Or do I let go just for my own freedom? Again, the emotional freedom of not having to carry burdens, even if they can't own it. Um, but going on, I feel like there was something else I wanted to ask and it drifted out of my brain. Yeah. Maybe it'll come back. I wanted to touch on though, 
the emotional aspect of it. Cause I know growing, and I think this is pretty common unless you were in maybe different situations, which could be very possible, but I feel like learning to honor emotions and listen to emotions and that emotions are okay. And not something that you have to shut behind the doors is really kind of a new concept that has come oh, up so in, new. In so the, new. Yeah. In the past um, few years where it's become a subject to look at and own and free yourself. Um, so while it's sad that maybe older populations couldn't do that, they also didn't have the tools. And that's the beauty of, of consciousness and evolution is that we continue to evolve. We do. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but we are evolving. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Are evolving, and well, then there, there's the personal choice, right? Because we can either all choose to to be the change and go evolve ourselves, or we we don't have to. And that's part of letting go of the codependent dynamic of you have to be this way for me to feel okay. Is also becoming okay with some people around aren't going to want to change, aren't going to want to do that, and letting go of our attachment to how the way we see the world or the way we want the world, and knowing that just by us being the change is enough, and that letting go almost like holding our inner vision, but letting go of any attachment of how it's going to come about or in what way it's going to come about. But again, I challenge you to think about how hard that is to come to those things. And I've had moments in my life, you know, what do where you mean it's hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I'm just I, kidding, <laughs> I started going to a Bible study in 1998. Well, see, my daughter went to counseling and then I decided that I needed counseling. So I went to the same counselor. She was off to college and everything. But, um, you know, I would go to I joined a Bible study with them friend that was her kindergarten teacher and I went there for eight years and so I had a small group okay a small group of women which I really feel like we all need a small group of people to hold us accountable to like back to us but they should be healthy people okay and these people were healthy but they hadn't been through really what I'd been through and they just every time I go down there I would sometimes be in tears I drive down to Westminster 30 minutes and I I think to myself why can't I get this? Why can't I just let go of this? You know, the, the things and the expectations with my daughters and the feeling that I'm a failure because I, you know, they didn't, you know, I mean, the whole thing. And one, you know, I can't tell you how many years it took. They would just say, Oh, Marilyn, just let it go. And I'd be like, uh, I think, could you tell me how to do that? And I, (laughs) And I would go do 500 hours of yoga, Marilyn. Oh, wow. Yoga was part of my journey. It was part of my journey, but I would, I did a lot of walking and exercising starting in 1995. And, um, I just could sometimes envision myself letting go of a balloon, you know, like, Mm. but I was grabbing it back because for some reason I was grabbing it back because I still wanted to fix it. I still wanted it my way. Yeah. Because and my children, I love them, you know, it's really yes. very hard to do. And that's, children. but that's where love right can become, right that's where love can become abusive. Yes. Is where in that dynamic. And however, it goes back to, uh, Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this 
in the way that who you are and how everything is stored down to an emotional level in our body Uh and quantum physics talks about this and how there's energy Mm -hmm. all around us, but we become addicted to those stories and, or like we're addicted to the, to our homeostasis and the emotional states that are in our body. So that's, that's the importance of the awareness and starting to turn inward and really take those hard look at ourselves to discover our own stories and our own traumas, because that is what really sets us free. Um, and mm-hmm. God, what else was I going to say with that? We basically become, because of that homeostasis, we become addicted to our own stories and those, yeah. those, those grooves, those train tracks in the mind the to get out of them in my experience is to go out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. in some way yeah and that for me was the breast cancer walk that for me is backpacking on the at for two weeks mm-hmm. that is going out of my comfort zone um i think so many people stay in their comfort zone and and look at them at my age you know many times they're in their comfort zone and they can hardly move and they can hardly you know they can't do anything because they're so addicted to their comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The the new things allows you um, new perspectives and new ways to see things and new ways of being whenever you're trying something new, because you're, you're allowing in a new experience. Tell me, or tell me and listeners more about tips or tools that you relied on through your wellness journey and learning how to take care of yourself and things that helped you get out of your mind, get out of anxiety. Oh, wow. Oh, anxiety. Process things. Yeah. Anxiety. Okay. Big thing in this world back then and also today. I think many children today suffer from anxiety and it can present in different ways. And I'll just give you one little story about my husband who was a, he he wasn't a real good learner when he was in kindergarten, first grade. I think they didn't know how to teach little boys like him back then. And um, what was I gonna say now? Anxiety. They didn't know how to teach. Oh, okay. So they Rick came to feel like he has a learning disability, okay? and a memory problem because he couldn't understand why people, teachers, parents were always saying, if you just would concentrate, you know, and, and he still talks to himself that way a lot from his childhood. Yeah. So I looked at his, some of his handwriting being an occupational therapist, his mother kept everything. And about 10 years ago, we cleaned out their attic and my husband didn't have a learning disability. He had anxiety. I'm positive. I'm positive he had anxiety. And they didn't know what to do about it. And I had major anxiety as a child. And my mother did because she was given away by her parents. And she never resolved all that issue. She was given away to her grandparents for no reason at all, who eventually had other children and lived down the street from her. But, you know, she had her issues and she did the best she could. And she did a darn good job, but she never dealt with the concrete issues that were inside of her. And they were reflected onto me and my sister. Mm -hmm. But So anxiety for me as a child and nobody noticed, nobody noticed I had anxiety. It was probably normal. Well, but this wasn't normal. I pulled my hair out. I chewed on it. I chewed on my stuffed animals. 
um, I chewed my fingernails down to the quick. My mother took me to a, a doctor and he said, her hair is healthy. I don't know what's wrong with her. You know, they, they didn't see it. So, you know, anxiety, you had to be aware of it. Yeah, but some people have it to different degrees. I mean, I got through that, but I still had bald spots in my head probably till I was 30. Yeah. And then I smoked cigarettes. When I was 18, I started and I didn't really quit till I was 48, another habit to deal with anxiety. I could probably easily uh, drink beer every night, but now not, that's another way to help anxiety. <laughs> it's not very productive though. When you go to workout group the next morning and you're feeling a little like you can't do what everybody else is doing. So I stopped that. That's the detox. Um, <laughs> huh? That's the detox. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I, and I know my tendencies and I know my anxieties. Um, and I know little by little, I, I'm getting over them. And some of the tools were I journal a lot. I have a bunch of journals and I go back through them. I scrap. I do like scrapbooks now, but I, I try my life that way. Um, Sorry, I lost you on that you last one, Marilyn. You said scrapbooking? Scrapbooking. Yeah, I did scrapbooking. And you know, very methodical things, the doing agenda to deal with anxiety. If I do this, 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 and this, I will be free of my anxiety. I will feel better. I'll feel better. Doesn't work, but it's, it's a, it can work a little bit. Um, now I do, you know, I started exercising. I've done five K's and marathons. I've done 13 marathons and I've done JFK 50 mile or 15 times. I'm just a little obsessive about things and, you know, but I learn things from each one. Um, but exercise really helped me. And I went through a depression when my kids were in high school and I had panic attacks and I, I said, okay, I got to go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and I think I was crying during the appointment and it could have been circumstantial anxiety because it's hard raising teenagers. But I, then I went to curves and I started exercising and my exercising journey has really, really helped me. And um, my hiking, I've hiked a third, like almost a half of the Appalachian Trail and hope to finish it by the time I'm 75. And, and that does help proprioception activity helps anxiety. It's, it's proven. It's proven. We used it in OT with kids in the schools and stuff that had sensory motor problems. Um, so the exercise really helped. And, you know, just the counseling. I went to see a counselor. You know, I, I couldn't do it on my own. And she saw, she's really helped me. Um, and now I'm trying to get in touch with that little girl that's inside of me that, that's a really hard one for me. You know, and be compassionate to her and not be so hard on her because that perfectionism and stuff is what creates the anxiety, I think, in your thing, you know, and I don't have to connect with everybody. That's another way I tried to relieve my anxiety I did for other people. I was highly involved in many, many things. Mm -hmm. I've, I've cut back on that. And I'm okay with that. But um, I take effects or I take medication. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, it's still a journey. I started doing yoga when I was out in um, Zion National Park, this old gentleman walked up this big hill and he had a World War II hat on. And I said to him, wow, that's really good. What's your secret? And he said, yoga. <laughs> so 
know, I went to yoga. I went to yoga was probably starting in 2012. And now I have a really good teacher that specializes mostly in working with women 50 and over. Mm. That's a good group of women that um, really want to be a certain way physically. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I really believe, I know you call it the universe and your generation has different wor words, but God has guided me and he's given me opportunities. And I had to just open my eyes and see them and know that he will take care of me. Mm -hmm. He will, but it's not going to be done to the day I die. It's not going to be done. Yeah. And well, that's the, the trust portion and that's the letting go when you can lean in instead of you, you stop trying to fix or solve or think your way out of it. Gosh, this is probably the fourth time that I've said this quote on this podcast, but it's so true. Albert Einstein always. Oh, says, I know him. Yeah. Albert Einstein says you cannot create a solution from the same thinking that comes that you create the problem. Right. He actually also said insanity is thinking you can make change by doing the same thing again and, and again and again. It's not going to happen. Totally. Not. Totally. But it's the awareness piece. And so I love the, I think, exercise. I know exercise, the power of exercise with dealing yeah. with anxiety because it puts you, when we're in an anxious state, we're lost in our heads. And we're not even in our bodies anymore. No, we're not. We're not even breathing. Yeah. I, found I would stop breathing. Yeah. We've disassociated completely. So exercise is a way to bring you back into your body and into the present moment. And when you're present, guess what? Your mind isn't going over future or past. It's right here. So that's the power of the, of exercise and bringing you into your body. And it doesn't even have to be yoga. It can be really any form of exercise. I call it your like own meditative process. You just have to figure out what aligns with you because if it's not something that you enjoy, you're probably not going to want to do it. So that's where, where it stems from. And, and that can change as life changes. Like for me, um, gymnastic, thank God I was a gymnast because I think that's one of the ways that I dealt with a lot of, aside from anxiety, a lot of feelings as a, a teenager and it kept me out of trouble Mm -hmm. And then that stemmed into working in the, or working out, went into teaching as a Pilates instructor for years. Um, then that went into orange theory. Then, then that's gone into yoga. Wow. So wow. it, it can yeah. change as your life goes on, but it's just find something that brings you back into your body. Forget about the other benefits. Forget about it needing to look a certain way or be a certain way. Or, well, I enjoy walking, but it doesn't burn enough calories. F that. Let it go. If that's your process where you feel the more most present, let that be like the number one benefit to help with your feelings. And um, um, another thing I wanted to say, the portion of being hurt on yourself a lot of times looking at that with curiosity in the ways where, because it, that can be an internal response that we were taught. Oh, yes. In our we life experiences. We have a voice in our head. But so learning to tune in and well, what's the emotion behind it? Um, so for example, I'll share a personal story yeah. that oh. just, just came up um, the, the beginning of this week. And I've, I've done my work 
Uh, I've done a lot of work and the work is continuous. It's about progress and continuously just choosing to show up for yourself and do the work. And I started this week, I saw myself going back into like old patterns of wanting to drink, wanting to check out, wanting to avoid, wanting to escape. And I was like, what is going on? And I recently started a new role. My life has become busier, but I knew that. And I've been managing the transitions. So when I actually sat with it and took the time, mm-hmm. I realized I was had so much anxiety over my daughter's leaving for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was avoiding that feeling. And so avoiding dealing with those feelings of like, well, how am I going to deal with it? I'm not supposed to show them that I'm scared. I'm not supposed to show them that I'm freaked out. I'm not even supposed to be freaked out. Why am I freaked out? So my mind goes back into all this, like, should, I shouldn't be. And then I, I went back to my old patterns, but that was my cue. Thank goodness that I, I was like, oh wait. And that's why knowing yourself is so important when you know, you have these these patterns and these things that you can refer back to and why it becomes the key to, Oh, okay. What am I looking at? And it almost sets you free in a way because then you don't have to revert back to those patterns that are self-sabotaging and that can ruin your life. Oh, well, talking of ruining your life. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 70 and I can't, do the same. I can't be doing those things to my body because my body isn't as adaptable as it used to be. And I need to really get serious about what my 20 year goals here are. And that's another thing is goals. I started with goals back in my thing of wellness and actually my Bible study I went to in Westminster. Um, we set spiritual goals yeah. every year. And um, I tried to make mine, mine change my life, my spiritual goals. And if we set goals, then we can't be doing the stuff that are going to sabotage our goals, you know, and you become more aware of it. So even if you still slide and, mm-hmm. or still go into it, just keep going with it. Don't beat yourself up, recognize it and be honest about it and be honest with yourself about how you feel, because guess what? That discord is going to grow and grow more and more, and you'll eventually reach your point where you're like, okay, I'm sick of my shit. I'm ready to change now. Mm -hmm. So sliding back, nothing's ever good or bad. It's only what we assign to it. And Mm. sometimes sliding back is actually the best thing. And maybe your only option because you've, you've Mm -hmm. exuded all the other options. And that is actually what's going to bring, push you forward and propel you forward towards that goal. So yeah, yeah, definitely making the goals, but then also let yourself like let yourself mess up. It's going to create that big discord until you hit your point where I can't do this anymore. Now I'm going to change. Now I'm really serious. Well, that makes me think of my friend um, who was dealing with sexual addiction and how we just learned so much together. We, she read books, we shared, you know, we were a real support for one another. Now that she's healthier, we're not so much, you know, it's funny how relationships change and it's okay. But I would screw up or do something or I call her and say, Stacey, just don't believe what I said or how I'm feeling. Why am I feeling this way? She says, no, don't worry about it. You'll get another chance to do it right. And you will, you will be in that same triggered situation. It will happen again and you will get a chance to do it differently. Yes, because your awareness grew and thank it that it, it happened the first time because you wouldn't be aware of it unless that, that happened. Right. 
Yeah. You know, the thing about being a fixer and, you know, it, it is a journey. There's no magic wand. You. That's you know, how the fixer works for us when we turn it on ourselves. Yeah. Well, I got a bicycle. My grandmother gave me a thousand dollars one year. She'd never given me anything in her life before. And I got, she sent me a thousand dollars. It must've had to be with, had to be with um, taxes or something. I never did figure it out. And I was probably, I was working as an OT. I was working um, with children by that time. And I obsessed over it, you know, writing the perfect IEP, fixing the children. I mean, what better profession to go into but a fixer profession, if you're a fixer, well, well, but you know, I learned a lot from it, but anyhow, I went out and rode my bike. I'll never forget. And I, I, you know how you can envision yourself where you were on what bike. And I was thinking and thinking and thinking about how to write an IEP for this little girl who was severely handicapped, who happened to be the daughter of a PT I worked with. So therefore, I was even more invested in trying to help this PT's child. And so here I am ruminating about it as I'm riding my bike, or I'd be mowing my grass sometimes. I push mowing my grass. I have since I was, that's one reason I'm so active. I was very busy all my life. But um, I'd be ruminating about my in-laws, you know? I can't fix that, but I was a big ruminator, big ruminator. And I think we all probably fall into that. Um, but I eventually am better at it now. I just breathe. I just breathe and I try to let it go. And there's this one scripture and it's on the chapel at Middlebury College where my daughter Susan went. And it says, I go to the hills where my strength come from. I can't tell you the book of the Bible, but it's a scripture. And I thought, wow, I have to go somewhere to get my strength. My strength isn't going to come because I'm trying to beat, beat it into me. You know, I have to go and I have to receive it. I have to receive it from people, from an environment, from something. I can't do it myself. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to accept help. We have a, there's, I don't know if it's a saying in the yoga world, but I know I've heard it in the yoga world where that space is actually always within and it's learning mm -hmm. to connect with it. And especially for those, but for those of us who may not be familiar with it and, or like, there's no right or wrong. Sure. It's great to be able to find it on your own, but it's also great to realize, Hey, I'm not there or that's not me. And I need to go to this space to find it. Um, but regardless remembering to go back to that space and that that space does exist. And there is somewhere where you can lay down burdens. You don't have to carry all these burdens. Right. But um, you also have to quiet yourself. And that's one thing yoga does. Pilates does that. I take Pilates from a private instructor and it's meditative because I have to pay attention to everything I'm doing in my body, or I'm not going to benefit from that, that 60 minute, $60 session, you know, <laughs> so, and I'm benefiting greatly from it, but <laughs> you, have to be present. you have to be present yeah, you have there's to be a, present there's another great tool that i want to bring up byron katie uh she has a worksheet called the work on her website and it can get you out of your mind i relied heavily on her work in the beginning to confront my own codependence where mm -hmm. she has this worksheet it's like five questions it goes over 
I'm, I'm mad at this person for this. And this person should do this. And I need this person to do this, to be happy. Um, So you're confronting your own denial and your own codependence and, and why you're blaming things on the outside world. But then at the end of it, it has you turn it back around where it's, this person doesn't have to do this. I need to do this. And it's very mm-hmm. powerful. I talked about that before on one of your podcasts. That was interesting. I, I thought that was very interesting. And it's, um, it's a mind tool to yeah. flip the mind because again, it takes the focus from outside of you to inside of you. And right. that is why like yoga, Pilates, any movement, you're taking the focus inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're quieting yourself and you're staying on your mat for an hour and you're choosing, making that choice to do that and take care of your body. And it, uh, it's just so important. I mean, you get so busy taking care of your children that you just don't take care of yourself. And that that's- was my experience. And I'm sure some of your listeners, that that's their experience. I mean, I had a mother that basically said, you need to be there every minute for your kids. She didn't tell me I shouldn't work. I did work, but I felt extremely guilty working because I wasn't there every minute for my children. And she said, you shouldn't leave them. You shouldn't, you shouldn't leave them and go anywhere. You should always be with them. But if you listen to my poem, you know where that came from. It came from a mother that didn't have a mother. And so she projected that right onto me. And I believed her. I believed her until I became more self-aware. And now I encourage my children you know, to take time for themselves. And I always, I don't just call and FaceTime and say, oh, Luna, how are you? I say, Julie, how are you? Yeah. 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 It's a learned, learned behavior. I love that you brought that up because so much of our society, there's so many shoulds and coulds or should do this. You need to do this judgments. And, and it can, it brings harm to, to the mother because, or to, to a woman figure. And it, it does have to, it starts with you. If you can't, you have to fill your cup. Otherwise you have nothing to give to others mm-hmm. and claiming that time for, for yourself. Guess what? It teaches your, your children as well. Oh, I'm valuable enough that I can also claim. And you're valuable and you can take care of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Both pieces. Mm -hmm. So you're no longer taking full responsibility for the other, other person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember even for myself, thankfully my mom was, she always ran and that was like her time. That was one of the major things she did that and nutritious. And I think she taught you a lot through all that. Your mom. Oh yeah. And I don't even think I was aware of it until recently. Right. Uh, Cause I've had my own journey and my own process. Oh, as well. sure. you have and it's good that you're able to say that. And you probably told her that. And when it comes to your mother, you know, your mother told me one thing that I wanted to share that because I was working at the shoe store, I'd, I'd stopped being an OT for a while. Cause I, my kids had gotten out of college and I decided to retire. Well, which I didn't really do. I ended up going back later when my husband retired, but anyhow, for about, 
six years, I retired and I poured myself into my church work. You know, I didn't take care of myself. I poured myself into my church work. And I, your mother one time, I said, I, we talked a lot. And I just said, you know what? I feel like I worry about everybody else, you know? And she said, but that is one of your gifts too. You're compassionate. And I really thought about that a lot after she said that because it is a gift to care about other people. It is a gift to be compassionate. It's part of my nature. I just have to learn how to have boundaries on it instead of saying right, wrong, black, white, get rid of this. This is no good. That's not the way it is. It's part of me. You know, it's part of me and my poems, but that's part of me. My parents are part of me. My, my journey's part of me. And it's and a learning. broken world. It's, you're never going to make it perfect. You know that, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. I had a mother that thought everything should be perfect because okay, her world with, was so unperfect. With the imperfections. With the imperfections. But uh, back to my point, I, for a while, would feel selfish, especially once I went through my divorce. Mm. And granted, I did need to come back into balance. And I think that is a good key if you're on any extremes, Mm -hmm. that there is something to be looked at. Balance is ideally where we want to be, right? Even relationships, even with your kids, there is going to be a balance of we still need to take care of them. We can't be on this extreme of, well, you have to take care of all your needs right now. No, that's why they have parents. And we can't also be in a balance of like, I'm not going to take care of you at all. We need to be in a balance in the middle. But when I went through my divorce and I was in a period of kind of re-examining everything and rediscovering myself as well and what was okay with me, but I had to confront the, I feel selfish for taking time for my, I feel selfish for paying for my membership at the yoga studio. And I believe it was the reflection, the judgment may was probably a brutal truth in other areas Mm -hmm. and was coming off in that way but it can come down to I think each individual has to determine what lies in that in that balance box of taking care of themselves and again it might not be yoga maybe it's pedicures and manicures for someone else Um, but determining around your needs your financial needs and the wants and the other people what that balance is and claiming it. It's not selfish. You are worthy of spending time with yourself and taking care of yourself and creating balance with it. Yeah. And sometimes we need people to tell us that when my mother was suffering, not suffering, but she was alone for 15 years. My counselor said to me, I said, I just feel like I can't meet her needs, you know, and I never could meet her emotional needs. She cried a lot. She had anxiety, but I can't meet her needs. And she said, Marilyn, you are not a bad daughter if you choose to have your own life. You're allowed to have your own life. And you're not neglecting your mother. You be the best daughter you can be, you know, but you're not neglecting your mother by choosing your own life. Absolutely. She gave you permission. Yeah, she gave me permission. Love that. Love that. So what other books would you recommend to anyone on their journey, starting out their journey? Well, 
throw out? I, I'm a big fan of New Life Ministries. New Life Ministries is run by Steve Otterburn, um, who was actually the person that founded Women of Faith. He, it was his idea that women needed women of faith, which I used to go a lot to those. They're not on anymore. And I learned a lot through Women of Faith. But he wrote a book called um, Healing is a Choice that was a really good book. I have read all of John Townsend and Henry Cloud's books. Uh, they wrote Boundaries, Boundaries for Children, Boundaries for Teenagers. They are actually Christian psychologists, and they really helped me realize that what I had learned within the church was really unhealthy, and that the, how to look at, at the Bible and look at the teachings from a, also a psychological perspective. And New Life Ministries actually has a talk show, a radio call-in show. It's a podcast. And I listened to that obsessively. Many times they were my best friends. <laughs> People would call in and then they would tell what to do with the problem. And their advice is right on and helped me, help my friend that was dealing with her sexual addiction in her marriage, um, taught me how to have boundaries. So New Life Ministries, I couldn't speak more highly of them. And... If anybody has a problem, I also, when I was dealing with teenagers and I actually taught teenagers after that, I had small groups of teenagers after I felt like I failed my own teenagers, <laughs> I, I regrouped myself and <laughs> redeemed it and actually was a small group leader for teenagers for probably six years. Mm. And there's this really good uh, website called Home Word, like home, like house word. Mm. And it's, um, gosh, I can't remember who the guy is. I don't listen to it anymore. But you can get on the website and you can say, I'm having a problem with this. What's your, what's your advice? You know, and you can go on topics and just get some really good advice. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't give good advice to people. Yeah. Yes. Get so professional sound advice. And yeah. that is, I mean, there's still gray within that as well. Yeah. Um, however, at least going to someone, I always like to aching it to look at the person that you're asking for advice. Right. Do they have what you're wanting to build? Correct. No, then they're probably not your person to go listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and or ask yeah. a professional. What about what would you say about there are what a lot you- out there that that do? Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. You go ahead. Finish your thought, please. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I could do a whole thing with you about religion and my journey in religion, but there's one good pastor that has excellent advice. He just did a thing on parenting. My daughter goes to North Point, which actually goes to Buckhead in Atlanta, and Andy Stanley is the pastor there, and his father was Charles Stanley, but Charles Stanley and Andy Stanley had a breakup, and Andy has his own church. It's non-denominational, and his stuff is just right on it's just right on okay it is and you can listen to the sermons and he's real he's authentic and he doesn't pull any punches I think we've been really told a lot of things within the church that doesn't make sense you know and that isn't told in the right way it's got to be authentic you know so that's another person that um I feel like can give a really lot of good advice on parenting okay and how to be a good parent And that brings up perspective because every person is going to present based on their own individual perspective. 
and that begets the awareness piece of how we can be the change. And when we're more aware, then we can use our discernment of is this information that I feel is authentically aligned and or right. correct or or not. Right. Or and for each person, there's a different thing about that. Um, and you know when truth is truth and what truth is, well, I'm older, so I, you know, you go believing a lot of things, like you said, you have to look at the person you're taking advice from. Mm -hmm. really when I found out I've outgrown people through my journey, like I've matured and no longer, I think, oh my God, I used to listen to her. I don't even like her, you know, but she helped me get to this point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. And that's, that's part of letting go. <laughs> that's part of letting go Listen, oh yes life what, is amazing it's I did another podcast with I don't know if you listen to it Amy Solera Mackey and she talks a lot about this um the cycle of letting go but becoming okay with like grief and loss in your life oh. and her and her husband he's one of my favorite yoga instructors here in Phoenix Anton they did a month where they focused I did I did hear that podcast and I will tell you that that is the basis of so many things is accepting a shattered dream and the grief and working through it and making a new dream. And finally, when I retired as an OT from the schools, I somebody presented on that grief and um, being a parent with a disabled child. And really, that's what you need to do. You need to come along beside this person and help them in their journey. Yeah, you have tricks of the trade, you know things to do, but really is that grief that they're going through and everybody does it. Oh God, it was just transformational to me oh, I love to that. learn that, to learn that. I mean, that you're allowed to grieve and be sad and, and, and grieve what you wanted or what you didn't get or yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't get a normal child, I'm sorry. And that is what you wanted, you know? Yeah. That's what you wanted. And it's okay to say that's what I wanted and then rebuild how you're going to approach this. And many, many parents of children with that are disabled end up in divorce. Many, many. Yeah. It's statistically shown. Yeah. Like if you have a deaf child, any type of child that's not normal, it, it is a challenge to work through. Yeah. Feelings, feelings, yeah. emotions. What do, what would you say that you need for the journey as far as components, be it, we've kind of already talked like exercise, grace, compassion, empathy, quiet time, quiet time, uh, time to yourself, go out in the woods for a week, like I do. And I just say, God, I know you got something to teach me out here. And then I struggle with, okay, well, what is it? You know, where's that perfect lesson, you know? And this time when I went to the Smoky Mountains, I just got back from two weeks of uh, backpacking. I did learn something and it's, it's questionable whether you would say this is really learning, but for me it was, I learned that I'm not that important. Yeah. In what way? What was the last, how did you- I do not have- context? Oh, my granddaughter Kelsey was having her, um, kindergarten graduation and zooming it and I couldn't zoom with her you know because I was out in the woods without a signal and I realized that people's lives go on. I'm a little piece of their life there I'm not that important that I have to be immersed in that person you know I'm not it's humility I'm not that important and it 
transfers over to the thing of, if I'm not that important, then why do I think I have to fix everybody? Get over yourself. You know, there's other people to fix people. There's other people to, to, to be in this world. And one day I'm not going to be here. Yeah. I'm not going to be here. And I don't want a big funeral and I'm not all that important. You know, I want to put my ashes in a stream somewhere. Well, and, and that it's, if you turn that around, it becomes, well, who am I the most important to? <laughs> Me yeah. and my friend Regina, who I was hiking with, um, she says, well, I don't know, Marilyn, about that, you know, because everybody wants to say, oh, you are important. You are important. You know, <laughs> and, uh, she said, well, I've been thinking about what you said, and I think you have to twist it around and say, what's important to me? Yeah. Yeah. What's important to me? And that's basically what we've been talking about here. What are your needs? Who are you? Where's that space that's inside you? Mm-hmm. Where is it? Wow. And I I have to, just as a aside, I told my husband that day, I called him, I was at a shelter and I had a signal and I said, guess what? I think I learned something out here. I said, I, I learned that I'm not that important. And Jennifer and Regina were listening to the conversation because it's kind of comical. Our husbands are kind of comical. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you would think a husband would say, oh dear, you're so important to me. He did not, not after that. He said, well, I've never thought I was important. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, he's like, oh, welcome to, to my world, my vibe. <laughs> We're yeah. hanging on this <laughs> Something about him and accepting him. And yeah, it's just, oh God. So you need time. You need time away. You need, I mean, that's another tool for for learning. Journaling is good. Uh, reading good books. Um, yeah. Sounds like creating your own process and then remembering to have empathy, mm-hmm. patience, and slowly yeah. allowed your awareness to build so that you see the different things around you. Yeah. Going out of your comfort zone, you know, here I'm talking to you. I thought, come on, I have anything to say. I have a lot to say. I might not be that important, but I have a lot to say. <laughs> you have a lot to share. Yeah. It's part of, of legacy. Yeah. Of legacy. Oh. That makes me think of balance too. <laughs> not being an extreme of importance, but still realizing we all have our own internal value, but not attaching to it, the detachment. Well, my eternal, that my value is in the scriptures. I'm the apple of God's eye. It says he delights in each one of us. Yeah. I mean, I am here for his story. He's going to use me if I allow him mm-hmm. to do that. And it's a bigger story than I have any concept of. Yeah. Yep. The trust and leaning in. Yes. Yep. All right. What last words of insight would you have for listeners and or anyone on their yep. journey? Insight. Well, I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like I want to repeat as moms and dads not to to take care of your own emotions and not to lay them at the feet of your children because they um they don't know how to deal with it and you need to learn how to deal with it other ways and your children should be allowed to be children without that burden on them mm-hmm. yeah and where where would people start to look for help with that and or build the awareness of it for help with that first you just have to oh my goodness have you ever seen a parent out 
you know, in the public and they're yelling at their kid and you want to just say, what are you doing to this child? Well, that's awareness when we look at somebody else's kid, but look at yourself and what you're saying. Maybe you could record yourself. I don't know. I, I don't know what I recommend for that, Christina, really, except be aware. Think about what you're saying. Um, be honest Realize you are putting deposits in that child that are permanent. Mm-hmm. They can overcome them, but but they, you know, I've learned a lot from my granddaughters about that. You know, my granddaughters are great big teachers to me. I have one that's six and the other two are one and a half. But the six-year-old has taught me so many things about life. And she's my, my husband about life. And, uh, I, she, I lost you on that. For me that been, she's taught you and your husband a lot. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. She wrote my husband a letter. She, she said she wants mail and she gets in the thing and she says, I want mail pop pop every day. And so, so, and then she says, and I'd like a gift with it. I mean, she's just crazy. She's amazing. She just says what she needs and what she wants. It doesn't mean she's always going to get it, but she wrote my husband a letter and she said, Papa, I like you, but sometimes you annoy me. Children are awesome. (laughs) And that was really hard for my husband to hear. (laughs) And then then children are like, I don't have to take care of your feelings. Right. And then the adult has to, well, why did that trigger me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to highlight being honest and again, giving yourself permission to accept that we're not perfect mm-hmm. and you can't change anything without the acceptance portion and being willing to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, as hard and, as it might be. Huh? As hard as it might be to look yes. at it. Yeah. And as painful as it might be, however, it's true. Those um, children don't come into the world with boundaries. We, they, they learn from us and what they see we're role modeling all the time. So if we want our, to give the best to our children, it starts with us to, to be the change. Correct. And awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. I really appreciated your time. Um, I love all the subjects we talked about. And if anyone wanted to reach out, would you be okay with, with uh, having a space for them to do so or, or would you? Most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Awesome. Oh, most definitely. I love people and I love to share my stories if it can help anybody. Okay. Amazing. Thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing who you are and your journey with us. Thank you for asking me, Christine. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Take care. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the House of Minds. Cheers to mind expansion and un-